we inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to AFA at the Core. My name's Matthew Mayer. I am filling in for Walker Wildman. Hopefully at this point, I'm a familiar voice, but if not, you can learn more about me at truthovertrend.com. Very quick overview of who I am and what God has called me to. I played professional soccer for several years, called myself a Christian by name, unfortunately did not live in light of my faith made my own decision separate of God's authority over my life, ended up making a terrible decision on March 7, 2009, under the influence of alcohol, driving, crashing, and unfortunately and tragically was responsible for an at-fault drunk driving fatality, which resulted in the death of a man named Hort Cat. That was 13 years ago. It still echoes in my today. It crushed me and, of course, imploded another man's family, I fast forward 10 months before my sentencing day where I'm in this state of limbo, no man's land, if you will, understanding my future and my fate was set in stone. I'd be sentenced to five and a half years in state prison, but my heart really wanted to seek forgiveness. Of course, I fell back on the faith foundation that my mother and my father raised me in. So that foundation is what upheld me and sustained me. Yes, emotionally numb, but spiritually anchored to God, trusting that he is sovereign over even the worst decisions that we can make. I often tell people in hindsight, the good, the bad, the ugly, no matter what it looks like, it all has purpose in God's economy. So on January 7, 2010, I stood before a judge for the crime I committed. I was able to express my remorse, seek forgiveness from Mr. Horkap's family. And then I sat down and I waited for the judge to render down his decision. And before that would happen, Mr. Horkap's son stood up and he was able to express his pain and his anger. And I was the object of that anger. And he looked at me and told me that his world was destroyed because of what I did. And I was crumbling and crushing on the inside, praying for God to do a miracle. And it was in this moment where this young man's composure was coming over him. And he eventually came up to me and said, But I forgive you, my brother. And he extended this hug of forgiveness that my explaining of it doesn't do it justice. In fact, there's a video on my website. You can watch it in real time, how this unfolded. There was media there covering it because of my pro soccer status. And we exchanged this hug in the courtroom that, ladies and gentlemen, it set me free, set me free forever before I spent a single second as an inmate of the state, inmate 314525E, I was set free physically incarcerated, but spiritually liberated. And that is how God got a hold of my life in a very real way. I went off to prison, which became a place where God got my undivided attention. I fell back in love with my first love. That would be Christ. And of course, spending time in the book, the Bible, where I experienced my own personal revival. And I often tell people the gospel came to life in that courtroom. 
How? Well, I deserve to be there. The wages of sin is death. Everyone who has committed a sin against God will one day stand before him as judge, except those who have received Jesus, the Son, as their Savior. And when we receive him as the Son, as the Savior, he interrupts and he intercepts the judgment we deserve. That's what the cross exclaims. And that's exactly what happened to me horizontally with human exchange of forgiveness. It set me free. Now, how about the, the vertical, the vertical exchange of forgiveness? God has given us what we do not deserve. It's the gospel that sets man free. Now, with that being said, again, learn more about me at truthovertrend.com. And I'm in full-time ministry. That's how I came into relation with American Family Association. Got to meet Walker and the team. They invited me to guest host a few times in the past. So honored to join you guys on this Wednesday afternoon here in New Jersey. Blessings to all those tuning in from all across the country. You can find out more about American Family Radio at AFR.net. Why that's important is because if I'm traveling fast during the week and I know that I'm guest hosting for Walker on this show, it doesn't matter what time it is. Even if I've missed Walker's show going live, I got the app. I got the American Family Radio app so I can click on it, find out what's happening with all of the podcasts tuning in at any given time during my day. And I did just that, got caught up on Monday and Tuesday's episode with Rick Green yesterday and, of course, Walker on Monday. So here we are. What are we going to talk about today? There's so many topics, so many current events that are happening around us. Well, all the buzz, right? The Supreme Court justice leak in regards to an opinion drafted before a final decision would be made on a case out of Mississippi that would affect or hopefully and prayerfully overturn overturn Roe v. Wade, 1973 landmark case that legalized federally abortion across our country. And since then, tens of millions of babies have been aborted. It's a travesty. It's a tragedy. And of course, we can argue about it politically. And I think that's where we get it wrong as believers, as Christians. We get caught up in the political hype. And that is not what God has called us to do. We have to tackle this issue from a theological perspective. Now, remember, if Satan has a strategy It's to get you and I, as Christians, to think independently of God's authority. If he can get you and I to engage in this conversation or this debate from a political lens solely, he can get us so disoriented, so confused, and so aggravated over the tension therein. Now, it's a very real tension because it's a matter of life and death. Now, you might not frame it that way in the midst of a political argument, but that's really what it boils down to. A theological argument sees life versus death here. Now, we know the enemy, he has an agenda to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to accomplish with humanity. It happened in Genesis chapter 3, and it literally bleeds through the pages of Scripture with the enemy seeking to destroy the image bearers of God. That's humanity. Humans were made in the image of God. And of course, abortion falls into the sin against the image 
of God. But before we get into those details, I want to tease this out a little bit more for us. In one of my first episodes, a podcast at the core, I talked about the restraining orders that God has put in place for the flourishing of humanity. And those restraining orders or restraints or boundaries are currently breaking down faster than ever before. And the first restraining order that God has put in place is moral order. When moral order breaks down, morality as God defines it, which can be summarized as good or evil. God defines good and God even defines evil. So I want my morality to be tethered to the word of God. And my conscience then is enlightened by the scriptures. When the moral order of society breaks down, you begin to see the social order break down. What is the social order? It's the institution of the family. Families make up society. Families would include mothers and fathers, husbands and wives who have children. When the social order of society breaks down, it's because the family has broken down. The nuclear institution that God has put in place for the flourishing of children and society, when that begins to become under attack, my last show, that's what I dealt with, fatherlessness. And if you can remove the man, you can expose the family and you can get after the children. When the social order breaks down, law and order breaks down. Crime is on the rise across our country and cities and even in suburban communities. Crime is on the rise because the family has broken down. And of course, there's other factors that contribute to the crime rate rising. Nonetheless, the restraining order God has given us is law and order. And law and order is often infused by political order. Now do you know why the enemy seeks to take over any government, especially a government that was founded on Judeo-Christian values? Yes, the United States of America was founded on Judeo-Christian values. And those truths or principles or divine order or law infused our documents the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights. But as a Christian, I do not need the Bill of Rights to tell me what is right. Let me say that again. As a Christian, I do not need the Bill of Rights, even though we lean into the Bill of Rights in our country. I don't need the Bill of Rights to tell me what is right. Law and order breaks down. Well, here's the final restraining order that I believe this battle rests on the spiritual shoulders of The church, that's the final restraining order God has given us to keep fighting the battle and pushing back the darkness. Do you understand your role as a Christian in the midst of a community called the church? The prophet Isaiah would write, the enemy comes in like a flood. And ladies and gentlemen, it feels as if the enemy is coming in like a flood. How about we only go back to 2020 and just kind of trace the many issues that have brought division to our land and our country and our families. There have been so many. It's almost like every year there's a new issue to argue about and fight over and get at each other's throats. It's the enemy coming in like a flood. And yet the second part of that verse says the spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against the enemy. What's the standard? Well, the standard is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And the standard who's a person, Christ, has given us the standard in his word, the Bible. So I have Jesus as the example, and I have the Bible as the written form to learn his word, to live his way, to walk out his will. And I lift that up in my life as a man, as a father, as a husband, 
whoever you are out there, you lift up the standard against the enemy. It's actually a military term, the battle standard. It denotes a military signal. When the scriptures say lift up a standard, it speaks to a flag that was attached to a long pole, and it was set upon a hill, a wall, or a conspicuous place so that when the soldiers were in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fray, they would not get lost or disoriented based on the commotion and the action, but the flag would be a place where they could not necessarily retreat or run away from the battle. It'd be a place where they can rally to regroup, to, to then engage the battle. There's a huge difference in retreating versus rallying. Now, remember when Jesus said in John 12, 32, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up as that standard, I will draw all people to myself. So if we lift up Christ in our families, we lift up Christ in our individual Christian walks, he's the one that draws people to himself. He's the one that brings true unity, true peace in a battle against the enemy who is propagating death, we stand for life. And we lift up that standard of life. Now, let me kind of tell you where we're headed for the the rest of our show. We're going to look at what it means to be a believer and engage this battle. And how do we do so by not getting caught up in the emotion or the agitation that such a topic brings, right? When I say pro-life, The opposite is pro-choice. And of course, the divide of the party platforms these days, politically speaking, when I say pro-life, automatically assume that I'm a Republican. And when you say you're pro-choice, I could automatically assume you're a Democrat. But the Christian should not espouse to either or. We should first be Christian with a biblical worldview, fighting for the rights of all humans from the womb to the tomb is the battle that we are currently engaging. This is AFA at the core. This is Matthew Mecker, and I am filling in for Walker Wildman. Excited to get into this topic with you today and share some truth. Encourage you to stay anchored by your faith. When we come back after a few minutes, we're going to get after it. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Acts 17.26 conveys to us the reality that we were born and placed in the 21st century by God's specific design. He determined before time where we would live and when we would live there. If you're in Minnesota, Mississippi, or Maine, God put you there on purpose. He's not surprised by the darkness we see around us, nor is he caught off guard by it. In fact, he specifically prepared for it by making sure you're alive right now. God can do whatever he wants, but he's chosen to use you and me as ambassadors of his kingdom. We are his torches to light up the darkness. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Oh, I could never do that. Many people today humbly say this phrase and walk a path of sideline Christian living. Have you or your girl ever said this? The truth is, no, we can't, but God can. Jesus instructed his disciples in John 16:33 to take courage for I have overcome the world. He said this before he went to the cross. He said this knowing the battle was already won, but their walk would become even more difficult. They would need to know what he knew, that they would need courage from heaven. Call your girl to higher living by encouraging her to take hold of God's next step for her. By this, you are truly instilling courage in her heart. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. You can learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is a Decency Minute. I'm Bill Johnson. Since the leak of a potential Supreme Court decision which points to the possible overturning of Roe, the left has been in a frenzy. They will do anything to continue the slaughter of babies in the womb. Proverbs 6 warns that one of the things God hates that he calls an abomination is the shedding of innocent blood. Yet Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer actually claimed that if Roe is overturned, that would be abomination. The evil of the culture of death knows no bounds. If the Supreme court rules rightly and overturns Roe, it's clear that the continued battle to protect the unborn will be fierce. Yet will the conservative justices have the courage to stand by this draft decision and end Roe? Or will some cave to the immense pressure from the left? Pray fervently for boldness and the protection of these justices. This is a Decency Minute, an outreach broadcast of the American Decency Association. I'm Bill Johnson. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. My name is Matthew Mayer, filling in for Walker Wildman for this show on this Wednesday. Hoping all is well out there. We're kind of talking through the current issue of the leak that came out from the Supreme Court. And of course, it's all the buzz. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody has their opinions. And of course, this seems to be like great news for the believer. We stand for life. We stand for true human rights. Remember, if Christ is lifted up, he draws all peoples to himself. And when we come to Christ, he's the one that makes us right. We're made right by him to do right for him. He defines human rights. Now, 
interestingly, human rights becomes a phrase that is often attached to social bandwagons, right? Human rights is the banner of the various movements. Now, hear me on this, but human rights are wrong when they contradict what God says is right for humans. Did you get that? Human rights may be the banner of the various movements, but human rights are wrong when they when the human rights become the banner of these movements where they when they contradict what God says is right for humans. So what does God say is right for humans? You don't have to look past Genesis 1, Genesis 2. What God says is right for humans is that he created us in his image. That's intrinsic value and worth. That speaks to moral value and order. That speaks to character. That speaks to a spiritual nature. And we know that he wrapped us in a physical body. He then tells us that he created man in his image and male and female, he made them. Then you have biological order, male and female, in Genesis 1 alone. And then Genesis 2, we're introduced to a marriage, a man and a woman coming together, becoming one. And we even are introduced to mother and father, two new terms in the scriptures. I believe Genesis 1 and 2 can shape our worldview. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So I start with him to define humanity and my role therein. Now, interestingly, let me kind of take a quick off-ramp here, because I think it's related to what we're experiencing. Recently, you may have heard this on the show, uh, the Biden administration formed a new governance board. It's a disinformation governance board from the Department of Homeland Security. And this is what they chose to call the, the board, the Ministry of Truth. The Ministry of Truth and the party in power that holds the Ministry of Truth, let me remind you, it's the party of social justice, which can basically be summarized by choosing Barabbas over Jesus. What is social justice? That's not grounded by biblical justice. It's choosing Barabbas over Jesus. It's the party of lawlessness, where we've heard decries of strong borders. We can't have strong borders. We've heard defund the police. It's the party of lawlessness. The Ministry of Truth, a governance board for disinformation, is the party of trust the science. Trust the science as we were fed lies about masks, vaxes, and the coronavirus. It's the party of blind compliance, the indoctrination of our children. Parents, don't you dare ask questions about what your children are learning. And finally, here we go. It's the party of my body, my choice. That is the party that is currently discerning what should be allowed in the public forum, whether it's truth or whether it's considered misinformation or lies. Isn't that something? I know the Bible, and we are the ones that have the ministry of truth. As Christians, we are the ones that have the ministry of truth under the inspiration of the spirit of truth. We should rightly handle the word of truth, and we should lift up the one who calls himself the truth. Now, Christians out there who are on the liberal side or progressive side or the affirming side, they're making these conversations harder because some are esteemed. And men like Tim Keller, who have come out publicly to make a statement about the current issue of pro-life or pro-choice, you, you find what's happening is these men with great influence are able to influence the masses in such a way that 
we don't know what we believe about this issue. Here's a tweet that Tim Keller recently put out. He said, here are two biblical moral norms. It is a sin to worship idols or any god other than the true god. Second, do not murder. If you ask evangelicals if we should be forbidden by law to worship any other god than the god of the Bible, they'd say no. Of course we would. We allow that terrible sin to be legal, however. But if you ask them if Americans should be forbidden by law to abort a baby, they say yes. Now, why make the first sin legal and never talk about it and the second sin illegal and a main moral political talking point? You see what he did there? He just tried to tie two separate issues. One, idolatry. By the way, every man will stand before God for placing idols or worshiping anyone but God one day. And he then tried to make the case that abortion should not be touched by us because if idolatry isn't illegal, then why should abortion be illegal? It is a ridiculous argument when you think about it. People can worship anything they want, and that won't hurt anybody. You can go off in the remote part of the world on a mountain. You can go into your basement. You can go into your your room and worship whatever you want. You're going to stand before God one day, however. However, to say that we shouldn't care about abortion where it's human interaction and God's the one that says, I have the right to either give life or take life, not man. Man is penalized with consequences for taking life outside of God's standards. So I understand Tim Keller's attempt to stay apolitical, but at the same time, he tries to make Jesus liberal. Some make God neutral, while at the same time agreeing with progressive ideologies that make Jesus a liberal. Said better than me recently, a podcast I also follow. Ali Beth Stuckey in Relatable, she kind of teases this out and, and helps us understand how we should look at the, uh, the issue of abortion. So listen to this, guys. Run clip one, please. Now, I agree with Mr. Keller that God is not Republican or Democrat. He's not. He transcends America. He transcends our politics. He transcends our partisanship. I'm very thankful that God is not in the Republican Party, that he is not our political mascot, unlike people on the left who try to paint Jesus as some kind of transgender, queer, communist, feminist, Palestinian... BLM freedom fighter, I don't believe that Jesus is any kind of political mascot. He's not. He transcends all of that. He is king of kings. I simply believe that that reality that he is king of kings should shape how we think of policy. It should shape our worldview. I don't believe our worldview should be fragmented. I believe that Christianity is going to inform what I think about justice and what I think about policies. And I believe that scripture is going to and should inform what the Christian thinks about this. And for anyone who says separation of church and state, that's not what separation of church and state means. Separation of church and state is not the same thing as separation of worldview and how one sees policy or the separation of God and law. Separation of church and state simply means that the state should not be interfering in the church's affairs and the church and the state also can't establish any kind of church religion or any kind of state religion rather. And so people think that separation of church and state means that Christians and only Christians should have to check our worldview at the door and that we can't bring it into the public square, even though progressives, with their pseudo-religion of progressivism, they get to allow their worldview to color and influence everything they think about policy. Apparently, Christians are the only ones who are not allowed to, and I just call 
junk on that. That's bad argument. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone is informed by their worldview, Christians included. And we should, because by the way, the God that Christians serve created justice. And his definition of justice did lay the foundation for the basic principles of the Bill of Rights. And so it is good that we allow our worldview to influence what we think about the law and what we think about these so-called political and cultural issues, especially the ones that are pre-political and are actually theological, such as abortion. And that's the point. Really, all of us have a worldview. I think that's the, the main thread of the core is reminding us that our worldview influences or informs how we view the world and every issue. So the Christian needs to understand that we tether our, our ideas to the Bible, and we understand that it's not a political issue, abortion, it's a theological issue, and it's seeing it from God's point of view, and how God views it, and how God would have us stand for life, right? Every human deserves a right to life. We know that science and technology has advanced so much that there's no longer an argument or debate on whether or not it's a life upon conception. That was the argument decades ago. We can't tell. And now that entire argument was blown up by the advancement of technology. Pretty cool fact that when a woman who's struggling with whether or not she should carry out her pregnancy, uh, when she sees the ultrasound and the heartbeat, it literally increases the odds of her carrying out that pregnancy, which is the reason why there are organizations out there who fight on the front line to get women who are in the midst of this issue struggling with whether or not they should have their their child. And when they see the ultrasound, it convinces them that it is a life. So there's so many other ways that we as Christians should battle. I think spiritually, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So we must understand there's a spiritual enemy who wants to kill, he wants to steal, he wants to destroy, and our role is to push that back by being the light and the salt, as Walker said this past week, we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. Now, I think we misunderstand our role because for a long time, we've subjected ourselves to Christian bubbles in our churches. So I think the church is kind of to blame with where we are in our culture. And I know the the trajectory the world is on before Christ returns. I know that as a pastor, as a study, um, as a person who studies the scriptures. But I also know I'm supposed to delay the decay of the day. And I got to understand, I'm not just supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to be the church. And I think we got it backwards. As long as I check in with my church on a Sunday, then I can live however I want on a Monday through Saturday. And I'll come back to God on a Sunday. And that's not how this works. And first of all, you don't go to church to come to Christ. You come to Christ and become the church. You become the organization of God on earth. You are the one that ushers in heaven on earth and stands against hell while God has you here. This was the confession of faith that Peter made in Matthew 16. Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven has. It was revelation. 
It wasn't by his own willpower. It was by the Father's will and the Father's power. And then Jesus said this, I say to you that you are Peter. In Greek, you are Petro. That means little stone. And on this rock, Petra, that means massive stone or bedrock. I will build my church. In other words, on that confession you just made, Peter, that I am the Christ and I am the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Please know the word church and gate are related here. The gates of Hades or the gates of hell. What is it about the gate? Every city was protected by walls that had a central location called the gate. It was the gate that dictated the power or security of the community. It was also in the gate where the elders or leaders would gather to discuss policy, to discuss common concerns of the community. So the gates equal power and policy, and the gates of hell equals the powers and policies of hell. And that is what's at work here. The powers and policies of hell against who? The gates of heaven, ushered in by the church. That's us. How so? Well, think about those in power today in our government, namely House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who, in regards to the leaked ruling, called the opinion an abomination. Think about that word, what God calls an abomination in the scriptures. And Nancy Pelosi says, if the report is accurate, the Supreme Court is poised to inflict the greatest restriction of rights in the past 50 years, not just on women, but all Americans. Republican appointed justices reported votes to overturn Roe v. Wade would go down as an abomination, one of the worst and most damaging decisions in modern history. Yes, you heard that. That is the manifestation of the gates of Hades trying to prevail against the church, against those that advocate for life. Remember, it's the church that Christ is building, and we always stand for life. When we come back, we're going to talk to you about what is the church as it's defined in the scriptures. How do we stand for truth in these trying times? How do we advocate for life when the argument has so much emotion attached to it that's what we're going to talk about in our last segment. My name is Matthew Mayer. This is AFA at the core. Looking forward after these few minutes and these announcements. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. 
Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m on American Family Radio and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. The American Family Association presents the Marriage Family Life Conference 2022 along with a youth apologetics track. The Marriage Family Life Conference does not exclude children on purpose. It's It's built built in. in. We want families to come. And the thing is, if you look at what people who hate God are doing, they are going through great lengths to indoctrinate our children. Yes. And so this is a a chance to be on offense. They're going to be equipped. You know, at the same time you're being equipped, we care about what's happening with our children. Please join us for this year's conference, July 7th through the 9th, at the Bancourt South Arena in Tupelo, Mississippi. Register now at marriagefamilylife.net. Better hurry, though. Registration ends on May 15th. We're just looking for ways to help equip families for what's going on. According to the laws of aerodynamics, bumblebees can't fly. But they do. Not too long ago, I heard a young man talk about what happened in his life after Jesus found him. He had been in reform school and prison since he was 14 years old. They said that I couldn't be rehabilitated, he said, but I am. A little girl said about her now sober father, I don't know about Jesus turning water into wine, but in our family, he turned wine into food. Hang out with Jesus, and things change. You don't have to do anything, they just do. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And welcome back to AFA at the Core. My name is Matthew Mayer, filling in for Walker Wildman. We are going to land the plane on our show today. We've covered some ground. I wanted to kind of set the stage and define why we should care about the current issue and celebrate as Christians in light of the leak that came out from the Supreme Court, kind of showed us with a preemptive opinion on the Roe v. Wade 1973 case that has legalized abortion in our land, and the reason why we should see it not just as a political issue, but as a theological issue from God's point of view is because how he defines life, how he defines worth and value for humanity from the womb to the tomb. And he's the only one with the right to take life. God controls life and death. And we should not be playing with this argument as Christians, like Tim Keller, who is trying to stay on the fence in the name of being apolitical or attempting to make God neutral, all the while making Jesus a liberal and advocating for pro-choice, the choice 
that makes bodily autonomy in the hands of women. Now, what is the role of the church? Well, if the gates of Hades, as Matthew 16 tells us, Jesus said the gates or the powers and the policies of hell will not prevail against the church, then what is the church? Well, the church is the called out assembly of believers. This is a word that Jesus used intentionally that actually in Bible study, we call it the principle of first mention. It's never mentioned anywhere in the scriptures until this particular point. But it was a useful word to the Greek and Roman world. Everybody understood ekklesia. That's the Greek word. It wasn't a spiritual word. It wasn't a religious institution. We know it as that, right? I go to church with my quote fingers up. But when Jesus said it, the word ekklesia was designating a regular assembling of citizens, a body of people in a community, in a free state, coming together, called out by a herald for discussion and decision for public policy, for public business. The secular world understood ecclesia. Now, when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to build my ecclesia, he took a secular establishment, an idea, and he made it a sacred movement. Remember, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he called the church of the living God the pillar, a.k.a. the post, and the ground of the truth. The church, the sacred movement of God on earth, is the pillar and ground of the truth. What is a pillar? It upholds. If we are the ones that uphold, what are we upholding? We're upholding our society by truth. The baseline of truth or the ground of truth is the scriptures as God has given it to us. Now, isn't it interesting to see how quickly the narratives have changed? What do I mean by that? Well, we're in a post-truth world, which means right is left and left is right. Good is bad and bad is good. What is immoral is moral and what is moral is immoral. They that call themselves women can be men and men can be women. Like it's a post-truth world. Anything goes. And yet the church's post in the world is always the truth. How quickly did the narratives go from you shouldn't have any choice with what goes in your body? like. You should not be able to turn down a mandate. This is for the common good of the people. If you don't take this vaccine, you can kill somebody. You have no choice in what goes into your body. You need to submit. And then now the narrative is my body, my choice. You can't tell me what to do with my body as the statement advocates for the killing of somebody. You see how hypocritical this all is? And again, we get caught up in the political arguments. Come back. Step a few steps back to the theological implications. Here's where we are. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And yes, we have lost the ground in the war against truth. Not because the world took it. We've lost ground because we've given it. We've given up our position in community. We've subjected ourselves to our Christian bubble. We've vacillated between our approaches, our strategies. We've decided in the area of pro-life, pro-choice, whoever can come to the ring with the better argument, the stronger testimony, wins. And that is a dangerous strategy. Now, I am not saying our stories don't matter. In fact, I have a story. I travel around the country and I share my story. My story is based on my life 
and even how I caused death and how God redeemed my life and even in the midst of death brought more life. And I'm not telling anybody not to tell their story. In fact, I can even tell you there was a mother of three boys in 1983 and she was pregnant again. And when she went to one of her doctor's appointments, they told her she had mononucleosis and the pregnancy, which was a surprise, was compromised based on her sickness. And the doctor recommended that, well, you already have three children. You would might consider aborting this child because we can't guarantee that the birth will be successful or the child won't have defects or handicaps. And that mother in 1983 decided to trust God and that he would decide about that life. And that mother and that father gave birth to a healthy baby boy on April 13th, 1984. And that baby is me. And I have a testimony that can kind of point to the fact that, gosh, I'm grateful my mother chose life. Even when she was told by medical experts that she should have abort that life. That's my story. And I tell it when I'm invited to go speak at pro-life banquets and fundraisers. Trust me. However, I think we have to remember that there's a greater story that the Christian leads with. I came across this sermon in prep for the show. It's a pastor, preacher, teacher who I follow frequently. It's Vody Bauckham, ladies and gentlemen. If you're ever looking to a solid Bible teaching, Vody Bauckham can be found on YouTube. But this was the clip that really hit home in light of getting back to a theological point of view about abortion, about life. So run clip two. Listen to what Bodhi says here. What I want to do is I want to help us think about this issue in a more full-orbed way. Because I believe that in some ways we are losing ground on this issue. I believe we're losing ground particularly in the marketplace of ideas. Because we have, as we'd say where I grew up, we've fallen for the okey-doke. We have fallen for a trap. And the trap is that this issue is all about personal stories. And that we have to have more compelling personal stories than the other side. And if we can just come up with compelling personal stories, then we can just win the argument. Ultimately, compelling personal stories usually come down to who's telling the personal story. And there are people with compelling personal stories on the other side. There are people who will talk about having had an abortion and having had their life basically rescued because they weren't saddled with a child, so to speak. So if all we're about is personal stories, then that becomes a problem. If all we're about is personal stories, then we fall for another trap. And this I see in the political arena where now what we do is, as pro-lifers, we believe that the most important thing that we can do is have female political candidates, because if you're a man, you can't talk about the abortion issue because you don't have the personal experience or personal story. Bad move, bad move, because you have just let our opponents determine the battlefield, which always gives them a tactical advantage. But we fall into it because we already fell into the trap of it's all about personal stories. It's got to be about more than that. If for no other reason than 
we are people of the book. Amen? Amen. We are people of the gospel. It is not about my personal story. My personal story has very little relevance. Why do I need to give you my story when I have his story that I can tell you? The gospel is actually his story, not mine. And I love that, right? Because I have a personal story, but what about his story? I am not de- I've determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified is what Paul said. And we need to reclaim the ground of truth by being wholly grounded in the truth, that's for the believer, and be willing to boldly proclaim the truth in the public square, wherever God has placed you, whatever role you currently have, you boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel, his story, and because life matters to God, it matters to us. And because Christ fought his way to that cross to lay down his life to save the world, then we should fight just as hard to save lives. This is the truth of the gospel, and we live out of gospel truth. Now, if Jesus founded and built his church, his ecclesia, which was a secular term, a secular establishment, and he made it a sacred movement, he took something that was understood by the many in the Greek and Roman world and in the first century, and he placed his people in a community based on a confession about who he is, the Christ and the Son of the living God. And then he set them loose to share his truth with the world. But he could not give them his will unless he first went to that cross. And we all know that you can never become an executor of God's will unless you come to Christ as your Savior. And anybody knows that If you are the executor of a will after somebody passes away, you then are given the access to their property or whatever is left to you in that will. And this is what Jesus continued when he said, here's the church's role and goal in society. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I'm not going to get all weird on you. I know there's theology around binding and loosing, but that's not how I interpret it because it's connected to a context of the gates of Hades, the place of power and policy with the church, the ecclesia, and he's given us keys which open gates or close gates, and we have access and we have authority based on those keys. And the binding and the loosing is either the permitting or the forbidding of God's will on earth, which is already done or established in heaven. That's how that works. So we have the keys, and the keys represent access, and we are supposed to advocate for life. We are the ones who open heaven to those who don't know God on earth. Heaven's gates on earth are opened or closed by the church. This is our role in the world, in the midst of all the arguments. In the midst of all of the debate, in the midst of people taking sides, in the midst of even Christians who claim to be neutral politically, in the midst of all that, our role in this world is to advocate for life, period, from the womb to the tomb. Whether that is praying like you've never prayed before about this particular issue 
so that we can see Roe v. Wade overturned, and then the states are then responsible, and there's still a battle in each state for the right to live, for children to be born, while at the same time, as Christians, we support women and the women who are going through this, and you pray for them because they, sometimes based on what they think is right, they are terminating that life, or based on false science, not thinking that it's actually a life, or based on ignorance and and just not knowing where to turn, or based on their environment saying, you know what, this can cause your entire future to be hindered, and all those things are lies from the enemy. Why? Because he has a strategy, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. He has an agenda to get you and I to think independently of God's authority. He has a lot of helpers in this world, even though we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It seems that flesh and blood is carrying out his strategy and his agenda, especially at the governmental level. We have combats against the ministry of truth. This disinformation board, which is telling us what should be considered trustworthy and true, or what's considered misinformation and lies. We are in the midst of a very real battle on every level from every angle. And if we are truly believers in the book, as Pastor Vody Bakum said, if we truly trust that God's order determines human order, as the book tells us, if we believe in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, it is God who created the heavens and the earth. And it is God who has created man in his image. He's made them male and female. He has established the structure of marriage and family. It is God, then we must remember there's a very real enemy, the serpent in Genesis 3, who comes in like a slippery snake. And he tells Adam and Eve, did God really say? And that can't be true. And this is his lie. Is that really what God says? And yes, as Christians, God did say. God says stand for life. God says stand for truth. And the battle that's raging you lift up the standard of Christ. Be encouraged today. Your work, your toil is not in vain. Your labor for the Lord will come back in a blessing and in a favor. This is AFA at the core. Blessings upon you. My name is Matthew Mayer. Until next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.